Thank you, Ryan. So beautifully done. Thank you so much. Uh, we are really, really grateful to have you all back. Last week, we were able to welcome the new students, had a wonderful time with them. Uh, last Monday, kind of the kickoff uh, meeting together with our new students. It's been wonderful to get to know some of them through the week, and uh, we want to welcome all the rest of you back, the, uh, the real foundation of the college, uh, our returning students. So we are so blessed that you're here. These are amazing days for the Master's College in many, many ways, many ways. Um, clarity of our objectives, clarity about our theology and our doctrine, clarity about what it is we've been called to do, uh, tremendous respect coming at us uh, from really all over the, the planet, um, and maybe very importantly, wonderful respect coming to us from peer colleges and organizations and even from the accrediting association. This is a highly respected school, and uh, that, that's in some ways amazing at some level because Christianity, true Christianity, biblical Christianity is becoming more and more um, unpopular, more and more hostility is being driven at us. So we're just so profoundly thankful for what the Lord is doing in our midst and what He is accomplishing. I was mentioning to uh, um, some folks this morning on my way over here that just this last week, um, the college received a million-dollar gift from somebody who just said, the Lord put it on my heart, here's a million dollars. Um, just another indication of how the Lord continues to work and bless us here. Um, out of nowhere, things like that happen, but they're really sent from heaven. We understand that. Nothing more wonderful <clears throat> than having divine affirmation on faithfulness. God promises to bless those who are faithful to His Word. We have a faithful staff and faculty and all of you incredible students as well, and we continue to see the good hand of God on us. Uh, we sung a little bit this morning about our salvation, and of course, that's the heart of everything. That's where our gratitude basically is born. It's, uh, it begins with the fact that God has redeemed us and saved us, and you hear a lot today about um, the gospel, uh, people talking about preach the gospel to yourself, stay connected to the gospel, and, and I understand all of that because that, that's where our gratitude is launched and initiated, and we never want to lose touch with that. But I do think that if that is the case, and it is the case, then it's important for us to understand the essence of the gospel. What has happened to us? We talk about being saved. If somebody were to say to you, are you saved, you would know the answer to that. Uh, we talk about salvation, but exactly what do we mean by that? Maybe to help you think about the gift of your salvation in a fresh way so you can generate some maybe new levels of thanksgiving, I, I want to talk about that word itself the word saved or the word salvation and exactly what that means. So we, when we go back to the realities of why we are here and why we're who we are and why God is using us the way He is, we have a full understanding. To put it simply, the word salvation means deliverance or rescue. Rescue might be the best word. Deliverance is a common word in, the, in our English language but it is not a common word in theological vocabulary. We talk about salvation, and we sort of leave it at that, and we rarely talk about synonyms for salvation, so familiar to us. 
But deliverance is one that may even be better than the word salvation. In uh, the Old Testament, there is a Hebrew word, nasal, meaning to rescue. Uh, it is used in the Old Testament of both physical rescue and spiritual rescue. There's another Hebrew word, palat, which means to deliver. Uh, it is used um, in the Psalms a lot, in, in poetic parts of the Old Testament, and very often is translated either deliverance or escape. Yasa, the most familiar word, is used 353 times in the Old Testament, and it means to deliver, to save, to rescue. So you have this vocabulary in the Hebrew language about deliverance and rescue and salvation. All these words literally move into the New Testament and are picked up by a familiar New Testament verb, sozo. For those of you who studied Greek, sozo, to save, to rescue, to deliver, is used 111 times in the New Testament. There's another word, ruamai, used 18 times. Both words mean to rescue, to save, and to deliver. As we look at our salvation, let's look at it in a fresh way from the perspective of rescue or deliverance. God identifies Himself in this way in Psalm 68:20. God is to us a God of deliverance. Or Psalm 40:17, you are my help and my deliverer, O my God. Or Psalm 144, the first couple of verses, the Lord is my deliverer. Now, all of this emphasizes what salvation really is. It is deliverance. It is a dramatic rescue of the sinner from all that threatens the sinner in time and eternity. Deliverance defines what it is to be a Christian. In Romans 11:26, you'll remember this. Paul writes, "The deliverer will come from Zion, and he will remove ungodliness and take away our sins." God is the deliverer. This is an important concept, I think, and as I said, very rarely spoken of in theological circles. There is a, a kind of tendency among Christians to just sort of fall back on familiar terms and, and not necessarily know all that they mean. Sometimes just sort of pulling up a synonym adds a new dimension to our understanding, and that's kind of what I want to do this morning, just to get us thinking about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, what it means to be delivered. It is loaded with realities that are laid out for us in the New Testament. And when we look at those realities, we get a clear picture of our salvation. If you say you're a Christian, you are saying, I have been delivered. I have been rescued. Then the question is, from what? As I've been going through John 15 on Sunday mornings at Grace Church, I've been talking about uh, the fact of salvation and who's a real believer. Um, lots of folks believe in Jesus. Lots of folks believe the Bible is a good book, even a book from God. But true Christians have been delivered. 
We've been talking in John 15 about the fact that from our standpoint, we abide, we remain. But from God's standpoint, we are a delivered people. The idea of deliverance is a, a general reality that sums up what God has done for us. He has delivered us. Now we ask the question, from what? From what? So I'm going to give you a, a, at least an initial answer this morning. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and this is a good place to start. We are instructed in Colossians chapter 1 to be filled, in verse 9, this is Paul's prayer, be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We are instructed to do that so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, so that we will be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We, we are to live lives of virtue and holiness, lives of power and usefulness, lives of joy and steadfastness. We are to be marked by thanksgiving. And verse 13 says why? For He rescued us. The first thing you want to know about deliverance is, if you're a Christian, you have been delivered from error to truth. You have been delivered from error to truth. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. What characterizes the domain of darkness or the kingdom of Satan? What characterizes it? What characterizes Satan? Satan is a liar from the beginning. He is a liar and a deceiver. His names even mean that. The first reality of our deliverance, of our being rescued by the power of God and the grace of God is that we have been rescued, delivered from error to truth. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness. Darkness is a symbol of ignorance and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Light is truth. Darkness is error. We have been rescued from error. No matter how educated a person might be, if he or she remains in the kingdom of darkness, he remains under the power of error. He remains under the power of lies and deception. Clearly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the world cannot know wisdom. The world cannot know the truth. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. They can't get there. Chapter 2, 
says essentially the same thing in verse 14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Jesus spoke about this in John 8 when he said to the most elite academic Jewish leaders that you are of your father the devil, he is a liar, and you cannot know the truth unless you follow me. If you follow me and obey my word, you will know the truth. We live obviously in a world of lies and a world of liars and frankly have no ability on our own to sort out the truth. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that men profess themselves to be wise when in reality they are absolute fools. Listen to what John wrote in his second epistle in verse 9. Anyone who goes beyond and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching that is concerning Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, let alone put him on your faculty, by the way. Do not even give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. We have been moved from error to truth. Listen to the beginning of 2 John. The elder to the chosen lady, this is some lady unnamed, and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. That is essentially a way to define a believer, walking in truth. We walk in truth. In 3 John, written to a man by the name of Gaius, John says, Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul's, uh, soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. That's a favorite verse of mine, by the way. I was on my way home from church last night, and uh, a young granddaughter of mine, who is 11, called me on the phone. As I was driving home, and they had already arrived home, she said, Papa, I, I want to I tell you something. I said, well, what is it? She said, listen. And she said over the phone, 1 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. She said, I memorized that. Well, it gripped my heart because... I mean, that's what I would want for my children, right? I have no greater joy than that. And I told her, not just for the children, but the grandchildren. And not just for my own family, but for all folks. No one is a Christian who doesn't know the truth. The truth about God, the truth about Christ, the truth about man, the truth about sin, the truth about redemption, the truth about heaven, the truth about hell, 
the truth about spiritual life, the truth about new birth, the truth about justification, the truth about sanctification. You know the truth. That's what distinguishes you and distinguishes us. There are lots of universities around, lots of them, all over the place, but only those who have been delivered from the darkness and the ignorance of the world know the truth. By the kindness and mercy of God, you were rescued. I was rescued. And we become the source of the truth for the world as believers. You, you can't belong to Christ unless you know the truth. I don't mean you have to know the truth about every single detail. You don't have to know a true interpretation about every verse in Scripture. You don't have to know all of the truths about what uh, interpretations of, of theological issues might be more exacting. But you must know the truth about, I'll say it again, God, the nature of God. You must believe that God is who He is, Hebrews tells us. You must believe in Christ, the nature of Christ as the Son of God, sinless life, substitutionary death, physical resurrection, literal resurrection, that He is Lord. Confess He is Lord. You must believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by works. That's the drivetrain of the gospel. How did you come to believe that? Because God... God gave life to you in your deadness, and, and you responded to the truth. You didn't do it on your own. The natural man understands not the things of God. I remember going to a, a men's event with about 1,000 men, and I don't know how I got in this thing anyway. I went to speak, and it seemed a little bit uh, kind of off, and um, the, the moderator who kind of ran the event introduced me, and I got up and spoke, and... Uh, I could tell that uh, I was speaking out of, the, out of the Word of God, and this was a little, seemed a little alien to this. This was called a Christian men's meeting. So I was so bothered by the seeming um, confusion of the people I was talking to about the truth that I said to the, at, at, at the end of the meeting, I went up to the guy who was the moderator, and I said, can I ask you a basic question? Sure. How... How do you expect to be welcomed into heaven? Based on what? Never forget the answer. He said, well, kind of like this. This long set of sort of celestial stairs. And you get to the top. And you knock on the door. And you hope they let you in. What? He was in charge of the meeting. I was on a radio talk show for two hours with a host of a Christian radio station who was the afternoon talk show host giving counsel. It was a, it was a lady. And it was apparent to me that in, in the conversations and the Q&A and all that was going on, that she seemed very confused. So uh, in the break, I said to her, I said, could I ask you a personal question? Sure. Um... How did you become a Christian? Oh, she said, it was cool. One day I got Jesus' phone number, and we have been connected ever since. What? What does that mean? 
you got Jesus' phone number and you've been connected ever since. So I said, well, with all due respect, could, 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 I, could, could I clarify that a bit? I said, what do you mean by that? She said, what do you mean, what do I mean by that? Didn't understand the question. So when the program was over, I explained the gospel, to which she said, oh, come on, you don't have to go through all that, do you? What? The only way you will ever be rescued by God is to be rescued from error into truth. Turn to another passage, just thinking along those lines, in Romans 6, uh, verse, maybe verse 17. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Sounds like Colossians 1, which you read. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin... You became obedient from the heart to that schema, that structure, that form of doctrine to which, literally in the original, you were handed over, paradidomi. You were delivered. It means to deliver, to hand over. can be used in the legal sense to refer to the delivering of a prisoner from court to judgment. You have been delivered to a scheme of teaching. You have been delivered from being a slave of sin into a system of doctrine. That's what it's saying. You became obedient from the heart, not just superficially, from the heart to that scheme of doctrine to which you were delivered. This is an incredibly wonderful thing. One of my favorite writers and a good friend is Ian Murray, who wrote um, a book called Evangelicalism Divided. And in it he said this, the greatest failure of professing Christianity in the English-speaking world is the failure to make a distinction between a true believer and a false one. He said further, the health of the church has always been in proportion to the extent to which in her doctrine the difference between Christian and non-Christian has been kept sharp and clear. Once the line is blurred, spiritual decline is a certainty, and the blurring of the line has been the main cause of the decline of the English-speaking churches in the past century. Multitudes, he says, were brought into church often into teaching positions without any acknowledgement of sin or any evident reliance on a divine Savior, the result has been that the most insidious opposition to the gospel has come from within worldly churches. True believers have been delivered. They have been rescued from error. They have been delivered into sound doctrine, sound theology, which is another way of saying truth. Let me talk about a second element of our deliverance, okay? 
And this is subsequent to the first. If you're a believer, let's go back to Romans 6 where we kind of were a moment ago. You have not only been delivered from error to truth, but you have been delivered from sin to virtue. Back to verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that scheme of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you're now ashamed, of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. This is a monumental transformation. Not only have we been rescued on the level of what we know, we have been rescued on the level of the very nature of our being. Monumental. True Christians have been delivered not only from error to truth, but from sin's dominion and power to the dominion and power of righteousness. That's what it means to be saved. Matthew 121 said, call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their what? What's the next word? Sins. He will save his people from their sins. Now, that's what you were delivered from, from the dominating power of sin. Again, we mentioned this, but I want to go back to it. Romans 11 the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That is a defining reality for one who has been delivered, one who has been rescued. That's why Hebrews 12, 14 says, sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. When Christ delivers us, He takes away the dominating power of sin. Testimony to this is given repeatedly in Scripture. Listen to 2 Peter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. Everything pertaining to life and godliness is granted to us in Christ. Sanctification is inseparable from conversion. If holiness doesn't appear in your life, you haven't been rescued. You haven't been delivered. There, there is, of course, a very familiar description of the work of salvation given back in Ezekiel. And I know you probably are familiar with this passage because it's a very familiar one 
Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25. Here's a description of what happens to someone who is delivered. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I will save you from all your uncleanness. If you're a true believer, you have been delivered from sin. Not completely delivered because you're still human, but internally you have been transformed. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant that I will make, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. That's the difference. That's the difference. You are not the person you were. One, one other passage on this point, 1 John. You might turn to it, look at it just briefly. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him sins. That is to say, goes on sinning in an unbroken pattern. No one who sins has seen him or know him. It's that simple. Pretty black and white. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin, continuing unbroken pattern. He can't do that because the seed of God abides in him, and he can't go on sinning that way because he is born of God. He's a new creation. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. It is that simple. And look how it starts. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Verse 7, make sure no one deceives you. It is a familiar deceit to think that you can call yourself a Christian when your life is not marked by righteousness. Sin is incompatible with deliverance. It's incompatible with deliverance. Go back to verse 4. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness defines sin. Categorically, an undelivered person, a person who's never been rescued, is lawless by, by definition. That, that is their nature. They are rebels. They practice sin. But when you have been delivered and you now abide in Him, you do not continue in that same practice of sin. To think that you can continue sinning and call yourself a Christian is to be deceived. It's, it's a deception. You have been transformed. 
pretty amazing to think of it. To be delivered, rescued from error to truth, from sin to righteousness. That is the gift of God in our salvation. Let me give you a third thought on this. And then I'll let you go. We have been delivered from, therefore, the dying, perishing world into the eternal kingdom. We have been delivered from the perishing world into the eternal kingdom. Look at Galatians 1. The apostle Paul, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And note, note the opening message. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might, there's our word, rescue, deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father in whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. You have been delivered from this present age. You have been rescued from the perishing realm of darkness. Jesus' death was a rescue, a rescue effort to deliver you, to pick you up and take you out of is the form of the verb. Exireo. It's like pulling you out of imminent danger. The word was used by Stephen in his sermon before the Sanhedrin in Acts as he described the divine deliverance of Joseph and the children of Israel from Egyptian affliction. Peter used the word to describe God's deliverance of him from prison. The Roman commander Claudius Lysias used it of his rescue of Paul from the belligerent mob in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. You have been rescued out of deadly danger. This age, this world is a sinking ship. It is a titanic. It's going down. This I own, not to time, but a system, a satanic system. You have been rescued from it, plucked out of it. It is characterized by evil, this evil present age. Here again is the deliverer at work, delivering us from this culture, this present system. In 6.14 of Galatians, it's stated another way, may it never be that I would boast except in the Lord Jesus Christ, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It was through the cross and our faith in the crucified Christ that we have been delivered. That is why John says in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If your life is dominated by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the love of the Father is not in you. You can't love the world because it is part of the kingdom of darkness from which you've been delivered. You are a 
rescued person. It's an amazing thing to think about our salvation that way. We have more that we could say about it. You have been rescued from hell and will be taken to heaven. When you talk about your salvation, when you think about your salvation, it might enrich you and it might increase your worship to think about the fact that you have been rescued. You've been rescued from lies and deception. You've been rescued from sin, iniquity, and transgression. You have been rescued from this present world dominated by Satan, which is going to be destroyed, and those who are part of it catapulted into everlasting hell. You've been rescued. Not by anything you did, but because God in His mercy and grace reached down when you were drowning in the darkness of this world, overwhelmed by your sin, floating toward eternal judgment, and by His grace, He rescued you. That is an amazing, astounding miracle. While we were yet sinners, He rescued us. So when you think about your salvation, get beyond the familiarity of the Word and think about the fact and praise God for the reality that He graciously rescued you. Father, we thank You that we can think about our salvation in such rich terms as we look at Your Word. Thank You for rescuing us. Thank You for delivering us. Thank You for reaching down and pulling us up out of the imminent danger. Uh, we are obviously only one breath away from death, but before that death came, for us, you rescued us. By your power, we have escaped the world headed for doom and judgment. We praise you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for delivering us. We thank you for taking us from ignorance and error to truth and wisdom, from sin and iniquity to righteousness and holiness, from the present evil age with all its allurements and its deadly consequence into your eternal kingdom. How great is our salvation and how grateful we are for it. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.